vipers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. By a show of hands, just to begin this sermon with a question. How many of you desire to be happy? Let's, let's see your hands. How many of you want to be, at least most of you want to be happy. That's good. I'm glad most of you want to be happy. Don't raise your hand for the second question. Okay, don't raise your hand. How many of you are happy? How many of you are happy? If you want to be happy, yes, I, I would love to be happy. But are you actually happy? Every person that you meet, no matter what, every single person that you meet throughout your life is on the search for happiness. It's even in our country's founding documents and Declaration of Independence, right? That life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is kind of built into the American DNA that we're on the search for happiness. Nobody wants to be unhappy. Yet you meet so many people within your life that either are unhappy or they seem unhappy. No matter what they're able to do, no matter all the events they get to go to and all the world traveling they get to do, no matter what they accumulate or what they achieve in life, there's no happiness, even for Christians. We, we often say to an unsaved person, a family member, a friend that we know, we say, man, you, you're never going to be happy until you come to Jesus. But how many Christians do you know who are truly and genuinely happy? I hear some of you silently objecting in your minds, well, Brandon, it's not about my happiness, it's about my holiness. And you would be right. But I think that if we're on the pursuit of holiness, and and that is your drive, that is your pursuit, and you're striving for righteousness, then happiness is going to follow that. So like the old song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So if trust and obedience is the pattern of your life, then it seems natural to follow that happiness and joy and contentment and all of those things that we like, all of that will follow. Trials will come, the death, the heartache, the poverty, all of those things, but those things for the believer, all of that just kind of endures for the night, as the Bible says, but joy comes in the morning. So happiness really is a byproduct of your holiness. It is a byproduct of pursuing God and living the kind of life that God would want you to live. But there's a flip side. There's always the other side of the coin. The pursuit of wickedness and the things that are not righteous and not holy, those things are going to produce sorrow in you. So you have that one side that if you pursue holiness, if you pursue righteousness, then the happiness and the contentment follow. But if you pursue unholiness and you pursue unrighteousness then sorrow is going to follow after that. I mean, you look at the world, and you see all of the things that the world is able to do, and you look at all of the sin that is going on within our culture, and it's very obvious that sin is good for a season, as the Bible says. But the psalmist says elsewhere, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall shall multiply. The sorrows of those who run after and pursue other gods other than Yahweh, the true God, their sorrows multiply. And isn't that true? And some of you know this. Some of you know this from real experience, decades of experience where you have pursued your own idols. You have pursued your own gods. 
Where you pursued the, the drugs and the alcohol and the sex and the money and the power and all of those things that the world says is going to bring you some kind of happiness and contentment, but then it actually doesn't. And then you come to Christ. You come to Christ and you have that, that fresh, real relationship. It, it's, it, it's happy, it's beautiful, it's joyful. But then somewhere along the way, that gets lost. That, that the love and the contentment and beauty of that relationship, it begins to wane. It, it begins to dwindle away. Maybe like the joy and the happiness and the love that you first felt when you first fell in love with your spouse or when your child is first born or the way you, you felt with mom and dad when you were a child. But then there are seasons where it just kind of wanes. It just kind of falls away. What happens in our Christian lives, like it even did for the Ephesians, if you remember in Revelation, where John says that they left their first love. So they had their first love of Christ at first, but then they started to leave him and pull away. And so what happens is we try to live in both realms. We live in righteousness and we live in wickedness. We begin to walk in the ways of the Lord. But as time goes on, the influence of the world begins to, to come into that relationship and it begins to steal the joy that we've had. And so we're stuck in between two worlds. We have the one foot in wickedness and we have the other foot in godliness taking advice and counsel from the wicked and the wickedness is choking us out. I was never very good at algebra. But when you have a multiplication problem and you have a, a positive and a negative, the answer is always going to be negative. And that's what happens a lot in people's lives. Where they start out positive and strong for Christ, but then that negative wickedness comes in from the world, and then that becomes their answer. That becomes what their life is like. It becomes negative. It becomes unhappy. And this is really what this first psalm addresses. That, that there are two ways to live for any person. It's the one way and the righteous way, and all of the blessings and, and, and the goodness that comes from that. Or it's the other side of wickedness and the consequences that come with walking in wit wickedness. And so the, the, the initial question for all of us to be considering and to have some introspection this morning is to consider which way are we on. Are we on that righteous side or are we on the wicked side? Are we blessed and happy as a Christian walking in the way of righteousness? Or are we actually wicked on the wicked side? Are we allowing the wicked influences to, to come into our lives and rob us of the blessing and the flourishing that God has for us? But what about that way of righteousness? What, is that, what does that look like? Look again at verse 1. Blessed is the man... Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This, this word for blessed could also be translated happiness. Specifically the kind of happiness that is involved in being a believer and a lover of God. This is a, a deep-rooted kind of happiness. A happiness or even joy that is not dependent on the circumstances around us, but the God within us. And that's a, that's a key difference, isn't there? Where somebody who is genuinely happy and blessed as a Christian, and, and they're thankful regardless of all the circumstances that surround them because of the God within them that is producing that happiness and producing that joy. Let me bring your mind back to February 5th of this year, Super Bowl 51. For the first three quarters of that game, I was not happy. And many of you were not happy. Dusty was thrilled up there. Falcons fans, 
But most of us were unhappy. But then what happened? The Patriots won the game. And then what? We were all happy again. But the person who was blessed and happy in God remained so regardless of, of the outcome of a silly game like that. That wins or losses don't define what makes a Christian happy. Even on the, a far deeper level of things like death or injury, the Christian can remain happy and blessed in those circumstances in ways that unbelievers cannot be happy. You participate in a funeral where the person who died is a Christian and one side of the family is Christian and one side of the family is not. There is a total different reaction, isn't there? There's a totally different response. Because the Christians have the knowledge and the joy and the hope that the person who died is in a far better place with their Lord and Savior. But the other side, they have no hope at all. And so regardless of the death, the Christian can be happy. The person that David has in mind is a person who is living as a blessed child of God. That they have been made happy by God. And the first thing David says here is that a person who is blessed and happy is a person who does not partner himself with the wicked, but partners himself or associates himself with God. And that's pretty simple and clear. That a blessed and happy person is a person who is aligned with God and his desires and he is not aligned with the wicked. A happy Christian doesn't dabble in receiving counsel from the wicked. We never get the option of saying, well, maybe I'll stand in the way of sinners for a little while. But when it comes to sitting in the seat of the scoffers and those who are scoffing at the name of God, I'm not going to hang out with those people or receive their counsel. But the sinners, they have some good things to say every now and then. We're told that the blessed person, the blessed person of God, they refuse all of the counsel of the wicked and the ungodly and the scoffers. So we must never heed the counsel or stand in the way or sit in the seat of those who do not delight in the instruction of the Lord. We cannot be led astray. So friends, if your counsel that you receive in your life is from the world, you're not going to be a joyful Christian. From the very beginning of the Bible, right? Genesis. And you see Adam and Eve and they're in that beautiful garden. And what happens? Eve receives counsel, advice, from the wicked one himself, and look where it got them and all of us. You look through the entire Bible and you see how wicked counsel had ruined the kings of Israel. Or you look in the book of Job and all of the bad counsel that Job receives. And in all of those situations, to regard the counsel of the wicked was to the ruin of so many people. Now to clarify, David doesn't mean that you cannot receive any kind of counsel. From a person who is not in the faith. You might have an unbelieving family member or friend or whatever. That's a plumber or a carpenter. And you can certainly go and ask them uh, some counsel on how to fix something. That is obviously fine. That's not what he's getting at. What he's getting at is that far deeper level, spiritually speaking, where we should not be seeking the advice of unbelievers. And keep in mind, when David talks about the righteous and the wicked, he's talking about the people of God. He's not talking about the Philistines or the Canaanites. He doesn't say, refuse the advice from the Canaanites. He just says, refuse the advice of the wicked. So people within the Jewish nation. He's not talking about those others, but the wicked Jews. So to say, well, let me see what a few of my unsaved friends believe I should do in regard to ending my marriage. No. The word of God is clear on what to do in regard to marriage and reasons for divorce. Or maybe I'll run down and have my palms read or tarot cards or whatever. 
Or let me see what the world says I should do in regard to raising my kids or how I should spend my time or use my language or giving to the ministry or lying to my boss or paying my taxes or worship with my family on Sunday mornings or any number of things that the Bible is very, very clear on. We should not be going to the world and taking their advice on what to do with spiritual matters. Ever. That's like a sighted person going down to Boston and and asking a blind person to lead them around the city. It's not going to work out. The blind person will not know where to go. They cannot lead you because they are blind to the truth. And as a sighted spiritual person who sees the things of God and knows Christ, we cannot ask the spiritually blind to be leading us. The sinners or the wicked or the scoffers, they will always give advice that that undermines or undercuts what God's word has to say. Even in subtle ways, you can't trust them. The blessed Christian does not heed the counsel of the ungodly. What the wicked do is they they temper and they disregard what the Bible has to say in in regard to really anything that, that ruffles the feathers of our culture. What's abortion or sexuality or gender or creation? Don't you see that even within the world that everything that God has created that's beautiful and right has been twisted or maligned point for point? What the Bible says about abortion is love the life that God fashions them in the mother's womb. The world says kill them. This is what the Bible says about sexuality, that sexuality is for two people of the opposite sex in the bounds of marriage. And the world says have sex with whomever you want, whenever you want. This is what the Bible says about gender, that he made two, male and female. The world says that there are plurality of genders and that you could be a different gender on different days. That this is what the Bible says about God creating the world. And the world says that, it came, that, that we came about from a big bang and that we're just kind of a, a piece of slime that jumped out of a puddle. The Bible says this is how to live a godly life that is pleasing to him alone. And the world says, you do you. You just do what pleases you. So on point for point, you could just go and go and go and go and see that what God says has been twisted and maligned by the world. And so a telltale sign of a wicked person is that they do not regard the instruction of the Lord. But a telltale sign of somebody who does love the Lord is that they do love the word. When marriages and families crumble, personally are crumbling, when people leave the faith, it is not because they spent too much time meditating on the Word of God. It's because the outside wicked influences were allowed to creep in and little by little, stealing the joy and the happiness of the Christian. Blessed or happy is the man who disassociates with the wicked. He doesn't regard their counsel, but where is his regard? So he gives us a positive and a negative. Negatively, you stay away from the wicked. Positively, you stay close to the law or the instruction of the Lord. And so his delight as as a blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, he meditates day and night. I love that word delight. We, We don't use that word very often. The word delight. What you delight in has the opportunity and the power to take up your affections and to take up your time. I know what some of you delight in simply because when we bring it up and we start talking about it, you light up like a Christmas tree. So whether it's the fishing or the hunting or the music or the sewing or the farming or the racing or the motorcycling or your children or your grandkids or whatever it is, there are things in your life that you delight in and when you talk about those things, you light up. 
And so those things have the power to steal your affections and your time at a moment's notice. But where is the delight of the blessed, joyful, happy Christian? It's in the law of the Lord. And when you delight in something, you're not ashamed in that thing. You're not ashamed of the things that you delight in. You delight in your children, your grandkids. You delight in them. You're not ashamed of them. You rejoice in them. And this is what the Christian does with the Word of God. We cannot be ashamed to speak the truths of this book in the public square. To delight in the law of the Lord or the Word of God is to be unashamed of its contents and to be thankful for them. And so since the person who delights in the instruction of God, they are not ashamed of what the instruction says. Instead, they do the opposite. They meditate on it and they apply that book to everything that goes on within their life. One author said this, he said, meditation chews the cud and gets the sweetness and the nutritive virtue of the word into the heart and life. This is the way the godly bring forth much fruit. So cows chew the cud, don't they? I don't know much about cows. I should have asked some of you who know more about cows, but cows chew the cud, right? One, web, one website I read said that they chew cud up to eight hours a day. On top of the new food, which means that they have 40,000 jaw movements a day. Over and over and over. And the question is, do we do that with the word? Do we do that with the word of God? Do Do we chew on the word throughout the day? As we make this decision or that, if we go here or there, walking, standing, sitting, whatever we're doing, are we meditating on God's word? To stick with that cow illustration, when you're dealing with something in your life, do you recall the word that you've already spent time chewing on that has to do with the subject and continue to chew on it? This is David's aim in saying day or night that the righteous man, that he he meditates on it day and night. The picture is not that he has his Bible open at night and he has his Bible open in the morning. The idea here is that it's all throughout the day. He's meditating on it. He's chewing on it like a cow chews on its cud. The word also here for meditate can, can mean to mutter or even like a, a groaning sound that throughout the day that you're muttering to yourself over and over what the Bible has to say, filling yourself up with God's word, meditating on it, ruminating on the word of God. The great preacher of England in 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, personal hero, said of John Bunyan, who lived far before him, and John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, but Spurgeon said of John Bunyan, he said, you could prick John Bunyan and he would bleed Bibline. He, he would bleed the Bible. So from Spurgeon's perspective, Bunyan was, had so filled himself with the instruction of the Lord that he, if he were to be pricked, prick him anywhere, Spurgeon says, and he would bleed Bible. And may, may that be said of us. That if we were to be pricked and that trials come and things come that are sticky and hard and they prick us, that Bible flows from us. The situations in life, Bible flows from us. I mean, when you delight and when you meditate on God's word, it will become reflective in your life. Why? Because when you meditate on the word of God and you receive its counsel from God himself and you don't receive the counsel of the wicked, then all of your decisions, they begin to line up in the prescriptive will of God. What God has prescribed for you to do and how to live your life, you will then do. Doesn't that seem so simple? Walk away with a simple message today. Cling to Christ and his word. Obey his commands and refuse the wicked. Friends, who are you listening to? 
Who are you receiving your counsel from? Is your movement and direction based off of time, meditating on the instruction of God, or meditating and heeding the counsel of the world? What is your delight in? Is it in the instruction of the Lord, or is it in the instruction of the wicked? This is the way of the righteous. This is what the blessed Christian does. Negatively speaking, doesn't associate with the wicked. Positively, he associates with God. But notice the next difference between the righteous and the wicked. The psalmist gives a couple illustrations in verse 3. He, he, this righteous man, blessed man, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and the leaf doesn't wither and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And so David tells us that this blessed Christian associates with God and not the wicked, but then gives two illustrations, one of the righteous and one of the wicked. He says that the righteous are like trees and the wicked are like chaff. So the blessed and happy Christian, he's like a tree planted by the streams of water and he's blessed because he has been planted and he has been planted in a good location. So the blessed and happy Christian isn't a random tree that's growing up in the middle of nowhere. The picture is a, a, of a sapling that was, that was planted and it started to grow and then it was taken by the streams of water and it was specifically planted there on purpose because it's in a prime location. So there's been thought put into it. He's been planted by somebody, namely God, and he's been planted in a prime location by that stream. And what is the result? What does he say the result is? He has fruit. And he has strong leaves. Many of you have the yearly tradition of going apple picking. And I think Bethany, I've done that basically every year since we've been together. And we've carried that into marriage and children. But it's fun to go around and, and, and to go to those apple trees and to just pick off big old apples and to just take a big bite out of them to see that the, the leaves are still strong there. But what's true about those trees? Every apple tree in the orchard. What is true about every single one of those trees? They don't yield the fruit for themselves, do they? The fruit that the trees yield are for others. They're for you. They're for you to walk and and to take and to purchase. And so as many people enjoy the apples from a single tree, many people enjoy the fruit of a Christian who is firmly planted. And so the question is, what, what is your life yielding? What are people able to harvest off of your branches to to receive from you and to benefit and to be nourished from you? That that delighting and meditating in the word of God produces fruit in your life and strong leaves. And as the result, it produces the health and the benefit of other people. Trees are productive. Trees produce produce. They deserve to be cut down and disregarded if they stop doing that. But the righteous, the blessed and happy Christian... It's like a tree that produces fruit. And as the result, it's as the result of the delight and the meditation in the word of God. The scriptures are filled with illustrations. And we've been looking at this even within our Sunday school class with the fruit of the spirit. The love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. If you're a tree as a blessed Christian taken and strategically planted by a stream of water, are you bearing that fruit? Is the fruit of the Spirit bubbling over into your life and, and hanging from the branches of your life? Even within the context of a church. God has given fruit and giftedness to every single person who is here. But how are you benefiting the body of Christ with the fruit that God is growing within your life? It's an important question. 
How is the church, how is the congregation benefiting from the fruit that God is growing within your life? Do do your gifts of encouragement and hospitality and administration and all of the rest, do they serve to build up and edify the body of Christ? The blessed Christian bears fruit to the benefit of all of those around him. The second illustration is of the chaff. What the harvesters would do in these days, they would take the, the, the grain that they have harvested in their field and they would grind it down and then they would throw it up in the evening breeze and what the wind would do is carry away the chaff and then the good kernels of the grain would, would fall back down to the earth. And this is what the wicked are like, David says. That they're just easily blown away. Like chaff. Just blown away. They're worthless. Chaff is good for nothing. Something good for nothing but walking on. They, they produce nothing valuable. So you have the righteous who are rooted and they produce. And you have the wicked who are blown away and they produce nothing. And what does this mean spiritually speaking? Verse 5. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It's like what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 where he, people come to him and he says, Depart from me, I never knew you. And on the day of judgment, when we all stand before our judge, the wicked will not be able to stand, as the psalmist says. They will be cast away from his presence. See, I think what the psalmist is picking up on is something that is all throughout the Bible. Where you have the saved and the unsaved. That there are only two kinds of people in the world. Everybody you run into is in one or two camps. They are either saved or they are not saved. They are in Christ or they are in Adam. You have the dead in your sins and you have those who are alive in Christ. Or like David picks up on here, you have the righteous and you have the wicked. There are only two kinds of people. And so the fundamental question, like we started with, is which group are you in? Are you in Christ or are you in Adam? Are you saved or are you unsaved? Have you been made righteous or do you remain in wickedness? And if you are in Christ and you are saved and you have been made righteous, are you living a life that's consistent with that truth? Does your life reflect that God has made you righteous, that he has saved you? David is so simple and clear in this text. This is what the righteous, blessed, happy Christian does. He doesn't associate and receive the counsel from the wicked. He associates with God by delighting in his instruction and meditating on it. He's like a tree. He's planted by waters. He yields fruit for other people to pluck. His leaves don't wither. In all the things that he does, this man prospers. Why? Because of what God is doing in and through him. And in contrast to that, what about the wicked? It's like the chaff. The wind blows them away. They will not be able to stand in judgment. And the way that which God approves is found in verse 6. The Lord knows or watches the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord is actively watching and guarding and preserving the way of the righteous. Is God looking out for you? Do you live as though God is watching out for you? Looking after you? That he's constantly present. That that is a a true fact about him. His omnipresence. Always presence. Always guarding. Always keeping. Always looking. The wicked have no such promise from God. In fact, they will forever be banished from his sight for all eternity. Christ is clear as well. That wide is the path that leads to destruction. And narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. But when you think about it in terms of perfection, can any of us do this perfectly? Can any of us 
constantly be meditating on the instruction of the Lord and constantly be disregarding the wicked, not on this side of eternity. But who did? Jesus did. Christ was certainly a blessed and happy man throughout his life, never once heeding the counsel of the ungodly, obviously meditating on on the scriptures, and so many times we bring the scriptures to bear on a situation or a question that was asked to him. He was like the great tree. He, He lived a life that was not only prosperous, but he himself bearing fruit that all of us who believe in him and trust in him and abide in, we have received his fruit and we enjoy it. And as the one who is perfect, he will never be the one to stand and be judged. But as the perfect one, he will be the judge. So the call from David isn't to live a morally sound life, to just be better and reap the benefits. Plenty of religions will tell you to be moral and to live a sound life. But moralism is not the goal, and being a moral person does not get you to heaven. You can be totally lost and be incredibly moral. In the context of the rest of the Bible, this psalm teaches us to live like Jesus did. Christ perfectly lived this psalm and its commands, and we know we will never do so perfectly. And so we trust and confess in his obedience and and hold to his obedience because we know our obedience is nothing. We hold to his. We could never do it. And so the call from David in the context of the rest of the Bible is to live a Christ-like life. When you look at the scripture and you see what the first followers of Jesus did and how they lived their lives, the ones who prospered in godliness and their lives were the ones who passionately pursued after Jesus. They were the ones who loved his commands and they loved to obey, but they trusted in his obedience. Friends, I want to be happy. I want to live as a blessed Christian. And I think that the psalm here explains how that happens. The times in my life when I'm not happy, and I know those times, and some of you have experienced my own unhappiness, specifically my wife. Thank the Lord for her. But when you think of your own happiness, don't you want to be happy? And the times when you're not happy, isn't it when you're not meditating on the Word of God? When when you're not bringing His Word to bear on your life? And the times when you're unhappy, isn't it when you're, you're, you're asking the world's input and you're seeking to walk in, in that way? Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, for either he'll love the one and hate the other, and so forth. We cannot serve them both. We can only serve one, and we get so unhappy because we try to reconcile the righteous and the wicked, and it never works. Friends, true happiness and a blessed life will not come in any other way than to pursue the Lord and His instruction and to disregard the world. To live our lives as trees planted by the waters, not easily blown away, bearing fruit through God's power for other people to benefit from. And on one day, as a result of being a blessed Christian, we will be able to stand in the judgment. We will stand before our judge and He will judge us. But unlike the wicked, we will be able to stand. And the wonderful thing about it is that we will not stand in the righteous things that we have done and the things that we have attained for ourselves and our own ability to do it. But we stand in the righteousness and obedience of none other than Jesus. And as we go through life, as a blessed Christian, seeking to obey and seeking to follow the way of righteousness, the Lord's eyes are there. 
And he's watching us and guarding us and protecting us. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's a wonderful thing to be a blessed child of God. And may he make us happy in him, knowing that that is alone where happiness is found. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity again to worship. And we love you. We praise you. Lord, I pray that you'll, you'll change us and you'll make us more like Christ, even as we see within this psalm. Lord, we pray that you'll guard us this week as we walk through it, knowing that there are going to be worldly influences, knowing that there are going to be those who would love to come in and steal our joy, and that the wicked one himself would love to steal it away. But Lord, make us happy in you. Make us joyful in you. We give you all the praise and the glory. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand with me?